Welcome to episode 125 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samples. My wife says this may come as a surprise. I like to work on jigsaw puzzles. Yes, I'm a very outgoing extrovert. I love being around people and thrive on the energy of having lots going on at once. So my wife didn't expect that I'd share her enthusiasm for puzzles. Last year, we received a puzzle board, which is a flat wooden surface with four thin drawers to help sort pieces. Now we can easily move the puzzle from one surface to another over the several days it takes to complete, which is very necessary when you have two small children. It's, it's actually quite amazing. This is the season that we tend to do puzzles and we just completed a doozy. Every time we work on a puzzle, the same questions come to mind. Is there a word for that feeling you get when you finally find a hard to find puzzle piece? Is there a word for the interval between that elated feeling and feeling bummed you can't find another piece? And how long is that interval anyway? Is there a word for the feeling of having several wins in a row or from completing the puzzle? What about when you realize a piece is missing and you can't complete it? It feels like the English language is lacking if we don't have a single word to convey each of these emotions. And it's not just about puzzles. Finding or creating a common language for shared experiences brings people together, helps us form a community. Your ability to identify shared experiences that are often overlooked can be the key to your business success. If you name an experience, it could help someone see that they are not alone and that you are the person to help them. Your challenge for this week, notice and name. Listen to what your clients are saying and notice what words they use, but also what experiences they have that aren't being well-named. Test out different ways to express those shared experiences and notice how your clients and prospects respond. I noticed that prospective clients told me they wanted help launching a podcast or launching a book. Underneath that request was something else, though. What they really wanted was more, more impact, and more income. They wanted to diversify their revenue streams and create one-to-many and or passive income programs. Naming that more, it changed the way these prospective clients saw me and my ability to help them clarify and implement their new goals. I saw them. I even expressed what they had not yet fully described for themselves. Naturally, that leads to wanting to work together. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, onto this week's show. Today's guest is a communications strategist and international consultant on a mission to help people create quality communications. As a presentation slash pitch coach and a media training expert, she has helped hundreds of clients prepare for high stakes communications, including TED and TEDx talks, keynotes, fundraising pitches, commencement speeches, job interviews, and appearances on TV and at public events. She knows a thing or two about presenting, having spoken to more than a half million people worldwide and to hundreds of organizations, 
including National Geographic, Cisco, Fortune 500 Forum, Intel, Nationwide, and even NASA. She is the author of several books which have been endorsed by dozens of thought leaders, including Stephen Covey, Dan Pink, Tony Robbins, Keith Ferrazzi, Ken Blanchard, and Marshall Goldsmith. One of her books, Got Your Attention, became a Washington Post bestseller. Her latest book is Someday Is Not a Day in the Week, 10 Hacks to Make the Rest of Your Life the Best of Your Life. She is the founder and CEO of the Intrigue Agency, where she helps people create respectful, collaborative, compelling, one-of-kind communications and projects that scale their income and positive influence for good. Please join me in welcoming Sam Horn. Hey, Robbie. I've been looking forward to sharing some ideas with you and your listeners. Well, thank you so much, Sam, for joining me from your office. You're in uh, Boulder, Colorado. I love that we got connected. This is a true testimony to the power of networking that you and I are talking today. So this is a show about relationship building and and building strong networks, but it's about uh, the leadership is the context, right? So, So how do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? You know, in one sentence, leadership is the ability to influence people to act, right? Mm -hmm. You can be a leader when you're 10 years old. You can be a leader without a position. You can be a leader when you're 80. It's just the ability to influence people to act. And I think the first time I really understood that I could be a leader was when I was rally chair at my high school. And this was Hiram Johnson High School in Sacramento, California, And I had overheard some kids complaining about the cliques in school. And they said this was the unfriendliest school. And so we did a skit in our rally uh, right before our homecoming game. And it was that stop waiting for people to initiate and that good things don't come to those who wait. Good things come to those who initiate, right? That's so instead of waiting for people to reach out to you or complaining about the clicks, you're going to start asking good questions and you're going to start reaching out to people. We did this skit about it. And I tell you, Robbie, I had people come up when I graduated saying that that skit changed their whole high school experience. That's such a powerful story. And I love this example and that you were uh, conscious even at that age of not only the clicks, which I think people can sort of sense and they feel like they don't belong, but that you had a creative way to interrupt what had become sort of a pattern. I know that when people don't feel welcomed, they tend to not welcome others, right? Because they, you know, they put up their guard. Robbie, you're, in fact, we called the skit. Are you ready for the title of it? Don't be shy, just say hi. <laughs> and you know, these days people... You know, as you know, 52% of Americans say they're shy or they call themselves introverts. And often they use that as an excuse for why they don't have relationships, why they don't have a community of friends. And I think that you can use being shy as an excuse or you can use it as incentive. Mm. And so one of the things I love to do in my programs and books is to give even shy people, introverted people, specific things to say, because if we don't know what to say, we don't say anything, right? We end up being a wallflower. So do you want to know some of those things to say? Well, I want to actually dive in a little bit and talk about this, this experience you had early on, actually, Sam, because um, 
and we'll, and we'll, we'll kind of unpack some of these great tips of yours later on. You know, I have a phrase in my book, you never know unless you say hello. <laughs> okay, fist bump, fist bump, Robbie. Seriously, Come on. it's good, right? I knew I was gonna like you. So that, but that's a that's a great example of of you stepping up to take. You know, yes, you had leadership as a sort of a title, but you took it another step beyond what it had ever been before. And and it was nice. You got to actually hear that you had an impact, which you don't always get to find out right away but that you knew that you had had an impact on people's lives. Did that carry forward? Were you then motivated to seek new opportunities as you went further into schooling or into work? You know, Robbie, I think that that this idea about what you say, you never know unless you say hello or don't be shy, just say hi, or don't wait, you know, initiate. I believe that when it comes to our quality of life, that those are the game changers right there. Because we can complain about work, right? Or we complain about the new town. Here you are in New York, but you know, all that. Or we can do something about it. So you, if I look at the river that runs through my life, in almost any situation, it comes down to to stop waiting for what I want and to create it instead. So, yeah. All right, Sam, I want to know who inspired you to be this way. Is there is there somebody that you look up to that had been an example for you of this kind of, this a particular kind of leadership. Did you have a roadmap or did you have to create this for yourself? Ha, it's, that's a great question. I will always be grateful to Mr. Bowers. <laughs> you know, I grew up in a small town, more horses than people. And I had a lot to offer. And if you're in a small town, sometimes that doesn't always happen. <clears throat> but the teachers elected me to be valedictorian for my eighth grade graduation, like big whoop, right? But when you're in a small town, valedictorian for eighth grade graduation is a big deal. And on my way there, Mr. Bowers, the school librarian, gave me an envelope. And he said, open it when you get home tonight. And inside was a pen and ink drawing of a Mustang standing up on a bluff overlooking a herd of horses below. And he said, you're a Mustang. And he said, Mustangs join the herd when they want, but they leave the herd when the herd takes them where they don't want to go. And what I realized is that I believe that many of us are ambiverts, right? We like privacy and we like being in the public. We like being social and we like solitude. And what I understood as a Mustang is I actually like being by myself. I just travel cross country by myself and I never get lonely. But I also like being around people. And instead of once again waiting for people to extend themselves to me, I find that a good friend is a good smile away and boom, we have the best of both worlds. You know, I, I'm going to actually share, Sam, uh, a little of the behind the scenes of how I think about this, because I'm not sure how much I've talked about this. I, this show is two and a half years old, and I'm not sure if this has come up. But mm-hmm. I actually think that uh, I convene people all the time. It's like my superpower, right? It's to gather people together. But I do so because it alleviates the anxiety I have that I won't be invited somewhere. So if I'm somewhere at a conference and there's a a banquet, but the tables aren't assigned, I will spend a day and a half organizing a table or two, making (laughs) everyone feel great that they got invited, you know, stressing about the list, who said yes, in and out, where's the table going to be, how are you going to find me? I will do all the logistics. 
because I don't think most people are going to do it. And then I'm going to wander in and be like, oh, I really want to sit with my friends. Where, where are all the people I saw all weekend? <laughs> so I take the initiative. So I just think that, you know, whatever drives you, it may not look on the outside. It's a coping mechanism. <laughs> it's a, Robbie, this is okay. We're going to, we're both going to self-reveal. All right. Guess what? I don't think I've ever said out loud, certainly not on a podcast before. You ready? I hate small talk. (laughs) And it's like, it's like when, when you have smart, talented people and they're talking about the salad and the weather and the traffic, it's like, what a waste, right? So it's like, like you, I do salons and, and I convene people and places and we always have a table topic. And as the convener, as what you do, we make sure that there's not someone over there in the corner feeling excluded and there's not someone over here yak, yak, yakking all about themselves, that everyone has a voice, that everyone contributes. And we talk about things that actually matter instead of this chit chat, all talk. It's really kind of a waste of everyone's time. Mm, people do that when they don't know what else to talk about. I, I always say it, the easiest way into a conversation is to complain about the weather, but it's going to end after like two sentences. <laughs> you know, it's like, Oh, the weather. I know. So hot. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the end of this. That's it. That's like you haven't dug any deeper. And it's not a conversation you're going to stay in. And now we have an awkward ending. <laughs> it's like You want to know a great quote about that? Conversation is a search for commonality, right? It's like, do we both like to play tennis? Do we both do we both go to the same college? Do we both like, uh, you know, the um, the Kansas City Chiefs? You know, so it's it's com- and for some people they go for low hanging fruit, the weather. We can all talk about the snow, or we can all talk about how hot it is. And like you say, though, let's hold ourselves accountable, right? We're not going for low hanging fruit. That is just such a letdown. It's why instead. Can't we ask questions that people are like so pleasantly surprised about that like we're we're deep into conversation in a minute, you know, and people are like, finally. <laughs> That's so great. I, it makes me also think that um, a lot of times when uh, when people start these conversations, they just they don't they don't have the intention going in to actually engage. They don't they don't even know why they've left the house. You know, like they could just stay home and consume content, but you leave the house to actually connect with other people. Do you feel uh, like things have shifted with the advent of all this new social media and phones being in our pockets? Or have we always had no game plan when we went out to conferences and major events? Was, was there ever a time when you thought more people came with a purpose? Or has it always been the case? You know, it's a great question, Robbie, because in the old days, we didn't have our digital devices at the table, right? We actually had conversation at the table. And we kind of learned is that when we were young, we would watch adults having conversation. And so we thought that's what they do. Well, you know, all about Tinder and so forth like that, where people are hooking up and they're not even talking to each other because I believe they're called conversational skills for a reason. And they don't teach it with math and science and history. We never learn how to have a conversation. And so they're they're halting and they're awkward and they're uncomfortable and people just rather not do it, right? So it's it's like they'll go and they'll go out on a date and they'll watch a movie and they'll sit next side to side each other, right? But they're not connected and they're not talking and they really don't know how to do it. And it just is like, oh, 
I, it, there's a there's a better way, isn't there, Robbie? <laughs> I can tell that it, it pains you deeply to see this happen. I can see like there's a there's a visceral response to that description of that story. You're you're um you're you're here to alleviate that pain and give people roadmaps to how else it might be. So um you you've written a, a number of books. You've um. You've shared a lot of great content in there, and I'll have links in the show notes to all your books. I'm curious, as you've developed this as a business, um, I'm curious about the challenges you face because I know that I've, I've been speaking on the topic of uh, strategic and inclusive networking for about a decade. Um, about four years ago, almost the day, I left my career to focus on this. And I learned that people don't, uh, they don't buy networking. <laughs> uh, individ- you know, people don't want to think that they're lousy at something and then pay someone to teach them how to do it better. That's not how psychologically people approach, uh, you know, buying something in a sales space. So how have you carved your niche in this space? I think it's fascinating to find someone like you who's, who's clearly found a, a way to express here, there is a better way. <laughs> Let me show you. But, you know, who's been your clientele? How have you, how have you marketed your skill set, which is, common sense in so many ways, but not so common. Okay. You you ready for the secret sauce, Robbie? <laughs> Don't call it conversation, call it confidence, right? Because the con- conversation, as you say, it sounds wonky or it, it doesn't sound cool, right? But it's like, if we talk about the end, how would you like to walk into a room full of strangers and turn them into friends? How would you like to never again feel nervous? How would you like to be able to walk up to anyone, anytime, and be able to have a meaningful conversation with that person and not be intimidated? You know, how would you like to spend time with people and really relax and enjoy it instead of like be scrambling in your mind for what to say, you know, and be thinking, how can I get out of here? Because it's just so tense and uncomfortable. So I believe it's a positioning. And it is focusing on what we want instead of I'm going to teach you these things, you know, no, no. How let's focus on what we want and then let's reverse engineer it. And what if there were things that felt honest and they don't feel false or fake or contrived, you know, or like tactics, you know, they actually feel like I'm going to a networking event tonight and I could do this tonight and I could enjoy it. And it could transform it instead of like checklist, you know, meet five people before you leave, ask them this, follow up with this. And you're thinking, get me out of here. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's true. The, uh, a lot of the, the, the trainings and such that I've come across, um, it, 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 it almost teaches them all these sort of techniques that make people not want to talk to them <laughs> um, as if they're reading it off a checklist. Okay. My next question is, and my next question, and, and they're so busy formulating the next question, they're not listening. You know, I, I always think about uh, sort of the, the Bill Clinton approach to like looking at someone and, and just holding their presence in that, in that moment. That's, that's such a gift. And particularly now, as we are so distracted by our, all of our devices and all of the other noise in the world, to have someone see you talk to you, speak with you, engage with just you, even for just a few moments, I think that's the gift. And that's what you're trying to say is the confidence is for you to be the person who offers that. It's And you just brought up Clinton and anyone who's been around him will agree. He is one of the most charismatic individuals. Now let's unpack that. Why? 
He's genuinely interested, Robbie. If mm-hmm. you, if you've met him, you know when he's talking to you, you're the only person in the room. Right. And you know what? It's not about status. He doesn't seek out the Richard Branson in the room. He'll talk to the waiter. He'll talk to the bellman and find them just as genuinely interesting. So do you see that? I, I bet we both agree that once again, that's why it's not a tactic. It's based on, you know, do we see people as I can learn from them? They've been places I haven't been before. They've experienced things I haven't experienced. And am I genuinely interested in finding out what that is? You know, earlier you talked about how conversations are about um, commonalities. I like to look for the uncommon commonalities. (laughs) And sometimes I've introduced two people at an event and they assume that I did it for a reason. When in reality, they were standing near each other, but they then look for the thing they have in common and come back to me excited. How did you know we both went to Southern California schools? And I'm like, well, of course. (laughs) 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 But no, they just, they went into the conversation um, with an expectation that they should be talking to each other because otherwise, why would Robbie have introduced us? And they find the thing they have in common that is not necessarily that common, the uncommon commonality. And, you know, the, me, I'm like, seems a genius. And I literally, there are two people standing near each other. So I think that if we always start a conversation with that mindset, that there's got to be something there. There's got just, you know, just imagine Sam introduced you. That's how you'll know, right? <laughs> See, it's the eureka moment. It's the eyebrows go up as, oh, you know, it's, it's like you ride horses too. Oh, you've been to Hilton Head too, you know, and, and that it really is eureka. I have found it. I have found what is meaningful to both of us. I have found something that we share that we both care about, right? And now it's not this surface conversation. You know, now we immediately got real and interesting and mutually meaningful, right? So, Sam, what do you find most rewarding about the work you're doing today? It's, it is the results. It is, um, uh, you know, we've talked about this is not just connecting with people at a networking event or relationship building for a career. You know, I work with people on their startups. I work with people on their TEDx talks. And it is the difference between, um, you know, having a great idea but not being able to get it funding It's about giving a talk that's instantly forgettable. So what makes such a difference for me is when people say, Sam, if we hadn't worked together, that would have been another cookie cutter TEDx talk that's like yawn. (laughs) Or it's like, can I share an example? Sure. Okay, this is, uh, I think you know, I'm uh, one of the pitch coaches for Springboard Enterprises. So we've helped women entrepreneurs get $8.8 billion in funding. So here's Kathleen Callender. She's in charge of something called PharmaJet. And now you and I both know what is the ubiquitous question when you meet people, what do you do, right? Or what's PharmaJet? And she used to explain it. She used to say, it's a medical delivery device for subcutaneous inoculations. A what? (laughs) You know, and we both know confused people don't say yes, and they don't keep listening, do they? And they don't invest. So anyway, we put together a 60-second opening that got eyebrows up that led to her getting millions in funding, that led to her being Business Week's most promising social entrepreneur, 
all in 60 seconds, all turning an explanation into an opening that got eyebrows up. Yeah. Basically, if if their response is, how do you do that? Now you're off into an actual conversation. You get to share a story of a, you know, success, right? It's more engaging than the name, rank, and serial number approach. It's like three did you knows. Did you know there's 1.8 billion vaccinations given every year? Did you know up to a third of them are given with reused needles? Did you know we're spreading and perpetuating the very diseases we're trying to prevent? Like you say, we're getting, oh, I didn't know it was that bad. I didn't know it was that much. See, now we have a dialogue, right? Instead of a monologue, we're not telling them, we're not explaining it. We're engaging them with questions that they didn't know the answer to. And that's how to get people's attention is like, if they're smarter than they were 15 seconds ago, you bet they're going to keep listening, huh? I I love this example because it really shows how if you put a little bit of attention into how to answer the ubiquitous question, because you can't get rid of it. I, I tell people not to ask it, but you will be asked. So you have to come up with your own response. Um, right. Something that will engage people into a further conversation. You know, if you say you're a consultant or a lawyer or something like they're like, I don't need any more. <laughs> I already I already met enough lawyers. Thank you very much. And they move on, you know. So you always define ways to, to sort of do that. You know, I help people do blank or or I help, you know, inspire blank to do blank or some or like ask questions like you just raised. You, you want to know, uh, we're self-revealing here, Robbie. So can I uh, go to the mat on another issue? Sure. It's like when people ask us what we do, don't tell them, right? Because as you just said, what do you do? I run a nonprofit. I'm a consultant. I'm in finance. Yawn. It's over. We just, you know, we just stop the conversation. So if instead we say, you know, like my son used to run a nonprofit, uh, Dreams for Kids in D.C., and he was really passionate about this. And people would say, so what do you do? I run a nonprofit. Conversation over. Instead, he said, do you know anyone, you know, a young kid that may has autism or an, uh, uh, a disability or is in a wheelchair? And he'd stop talking. And they would always say, oh, my nephew, you know, dove in a pool, broke his neck, he's in a wheelchair. Or, oh, uh, my friend's, my son's best friend has autism. It says, oh, well, we offer programs for people like your son on how to. So you see, in under 60 seconds, we find out, once again, that commonality, how they're familiar with this, how they could relate to us. And then we customize what we say in the moment to like repeat, not repeat, but to like reframe or reference what they just said. Connection, we're off and running. Which is so much better than when people just memorize their, you know, elevator speech. You know, if it's Martin Scorsese and he's, you know, two <laughs> floors in an elevator, then I think you should do the full on pitch. You've got, you know, 90 seconds of him. But that's not usually the scenario where, you, where you've got 90 seconds to try to get his attention. You know, Robbie, can we even go there? Because, see, I think, you know, I helped start and run the Maui Writers Conference for 17 years. We gave people from around the world a chance to talk to Ron Howard about their screenplay, a chance to talk to the head of Doubleday, to talk to Rob Loomis, whose clients are like Maya Angelou. And they would have 10-minute meetings. And guess what most people did in their 10-minute meetings? Talk. The whole time. Too too much, right. Yeah. (laughs) They'd rehearse this thing to death and see agents and editors, they're smart. 60 seconds into it, they kind of got it, right? And they would want to say, well, where are you with the manuscript? Well, have you published something before? It's like, well, what's the lead? Who would play the lead character? They would want to run with the conversation. 
but the people were so intent on delivering this rehearsed to death pitch, they would talk right over them and I would see the light go out in the decision maker's eyes. It's like, I'm out, right? It's like, you just showed your stripes. This would be what you like to work with. And, and at this point, it could be a brilliant project. We're not interested anymore. Well, I, I've heard that uh, venture capitalists, uh, VCs, they actually invest in people, not ideas, right? Because an idea they, could fail. But the they person. They bet on the jockey. That's right. There's a saying they bet on the jockey. And Robbie, what you just said, because you could have a great product, you could have an innovative service or something, but it's like, can you walk into the room and command respect? You actually put a sock in it and listen. Right? <laughs> That's what they want to know. <laughs> Two ears, one mouth. <laughs> That's so awesome. So in in my intro of you, I listed out an impressive uh, number of thought leaders that have endorsed your books. And I, I, I included that. You did not include that. I included that on your behalf because it, this is a show about building great relationships. And I, I'll, um, I mean, the part of it is just like, how do you get the attention of the influencers? Um, how do you engage with people? And, and I actually think asking people to write an endorsement is an ask. It's, it's, it's not the same as other things. It, it's not a, it, it is actually a favor from them. You know, it takes some effort and time and they probably get asked a lot by a lot of people. So, you know, how did you approach as you were writing your books, who you wanted to ask, you have pre-existing relationships? Did you set your sights on people as you were going, you know? What was that process like? Because I think a lot of writers, when they're writing their books, they actually don't do enough uh, pre-planning about who they would want to have endorsed because it would take months to really re-engage or rekindle a connection and they forget. And then now it's suddenly time to have an endorsement and they're scrambling. So I imagine for you, the process looked a little bit different. So Sam, what was it like? Here are three quick tips, okay? Because there is an art and a science to getting endorsements. Number one is come up with your A-list of diverse endorsements. We should have men and women. We should have ethnic diversity. We should have uh, geographical diversity. If you want your book to get foreign sales, you need people internationally, etc. I believe you need left and right brain endorsements. You need maybe um, you know, a business professor from a well-known university or someone who's written a book on your topic. But then you also want like a, a senior VP. In fact, one of my clients, uh, Waldo uh, Waldman, was wrote a book. You know Waldo? Great. Okay. You know, never fly solo. He's in his flight suit. He's got an F-14 behind him. It's like, Waldo, the testosterone is jumping off the page. I said, so you, what is your goal for the book? Well, you want to get booked to speak. So you want a female from a major corporation who talks about this topic and getting a standing ovation and how they're still talking about it. So he got senior VP of Marriott talking about how this talk went so well. He said it was the single best thing he did in marketing because if he'd had just another guy talking about the book, you see, he would have left a lot on the table, right? So number one, a diverse range of endorsements. Number two is you got to have a body of work, right? <laughs> it's like, you know, hopefully, you know, whether it's Seth Godin or whether it's Tony Robbins or whether it's Dan Pink, they reviewed the work and they felt that it was valuable, it was original, and that it would, it would really be actionable. And then the third thing is, and you just said it, Robbie, it's Jack Canfield and I had this conversation one time. And the degree to which we grant a favor depends on whether people acknowledge you're asking a favor. 
I mean, I bet you have had people saying, I want to be on your podcast. They haven't researched your podcast. They don't have a body of work. And they don't let you know that they know you have a whole bunch of people asking to be on your podcast. So I work with people on their endorsement letters. The very first paragraph is always something about the other person that's recent. Congratulations on your Wall Street Journal bestseller. I just saw you on uh, Robbie's podcast. Just saw you on Jonathan Fields, whatever. So something about them. Second paragraph, I know you get asked this all the time, and I'm asking for a favor. Now, what I do is I say, to make this as easy as possible, I have been so bold as to draft a sample endorsement. You are welcome to edit this as you see fit, sign off on it as is, or create one from scratch. Now, please note, if the person like Dale Sheehy just uh, endorsed my new book, she's a journalist. She said, Sam, it's offensive to me that you would want to write my endorsement. And I said, I absolutely understand that. I'm just giving you an option because there are other people, it would sit on their desk for three months and it would never get to the top of the to-do list. They're just too busy and they can riff off that and, and even if it's one word, motivating, <laughs> even if it's two words, highly recommended. So we draft something that we think the person would, would be able to sign off on because it's not some superlative. It may even be something about their work, like Alex Benayan right now is blowing things up, right, with The Third Door. If you haven't had him on your podcast, check him out, Robbie. Alex Benayan, The Third Door. Great guy. So in his endorsement, he's going to mention about, you know, the innovative ways. And then the last thing is, is what you said, is I never send a manuscript. How presumptuous to send someone a 250-page manuscript. Who has time to read that, right? So it's like, here is a one-page description, and I will be glad to send it upon request. So it's not presumptuous plopping on their desk. They want it by all means. And then we can always say at the end, what can I do to support you? You know, is do you have an online program coming out that I can share with my community? So we're trying to make it quid pro quo instead of just, you know, assuming that they're going to stop everything and do this for us. Right. Because uh, as my mother told me when I was 12, which was, I will, I'll be honest, Sam, it was kind of devastating to hear uh, as at a 12 year old. She said, you were only the main character in your own play. Uh, as a 12 year old that was really right in the heart you know but as an adult it's kind of freeing because it makes you realize you do have to put a little effort into getting on other people's stages and that if you flub it the first time out you have a few more tries perhaps but um but yes you know for these people you're not their main priority i did something very similar i um I actually, I didn't send the uh the, the draft um uh, endorsement but i offered and uh, like three quarters of them said, yes, please do. And then I wrote it in their voice. So Neen James was uh, one of my endorsements. And of course, she yeah. has her program, Attention Pays. So yeah. I made sure that that was included because that is what she would say. Like she would write it in that voice. And someone said, oh, can't you just write 10 of them and then let them choose one? I'm like, no, because it has to be specific to them. It's not cookie cutter. And that's why, you know, for the most part, people are like, that's perfect. I love it. And then, yes, giving them synopsis. And I also, when I did send them the, the, the uh, manuscript, I said, if you, re- if you read this one section, I think you'll really like it. 
You know, yep. here's, here's a particular piece I think that would work well with your work, you know, that kind of guidance. Many of them told me they ended up reading the whole thing because <laughs> it was a quick read and engaging. And But you got to give them permission to just p- put a toe in the water. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, Jack tells a story. Jack Canfield tells a story about how um, he was at an event and he, he needed a ride to the airport. So someone came up and said, Jack, I want to do what you do. And he says, well, give me to a ride to the airport. You can pick my brain on the way there a while back. Well, you know, so he spent a lot of time telling her all his, his secrets and so forth. He never heard from her again. Well, he saw her a couple years, you know, later at one of his events. There he was. She was in the front row. And and he said, so how's your business coming along? Well, this has happened. This has happened. This has happened. This has happened. He said, no, he, how's your business coming along? And and so she had nothing but excuses. And so, see, what you're talking about is doing our homework by honoring the person. It's saying is that I, I respect you. I am asking a favor. So I'm going to do my half. I'm going to tailor uh, something that's in your voice. You know, I'm going to offer to do quid pro quo. And then, you know what, Ravi, is like the end of that is we get back in touch and say, you know, someone told me that they bought the book because of your endorsement. That's like the three A's of mentoring. You know, you ask, you act, and then you appreciate, right? Mm-hmm. I like that. Ask act and appreciate. I haven't heard it said that way. And it's so memorable. I think we all should be aiming to be AAA in that way. Um, <laughs> <and> you know, <laughs> Sam, Sam's getting down on that. That's awesome. So Sam, you made me think of another little anecdote as we were wrapping up, but you were saying how Jack needed a ride to the airport. It reminds me of a way I described a lot of this. Um, years ago, I would show up to meetings. People would say, you know, kind of the pick your brain uh, kind of thing early on, decade or so ago. And I'd say, well, here's the coffee shop that's near my office. Meet me the hour before work. And I was doing, you know, three or four a month. I mean, just meet with people. And I remember how long ago it was because I had a BlackBerry. <laughs> so it was a while ago. <laughs> it was 15, 16 years ago. My mother gets wind of this and she says, why aren't you charging? Oh my gosh, charge, charge, charge. I said, you know, it's, it's like giving rides to the airport. You know, you do it because you have a relationship. And you have access to the resources that this person needs. You have time and you have a car. And that person is acknowledging the favor. And the really cool part is that if you become known as the kind of person who gives rides to the airport, one day you need a ride. Yes, you get it. But it's probably from someone who's never gotten a ride from you. But they just know you to be the kind of person who gives rides to the airport. And she just sort of was like, oh, I'm like, yeah, it's the philosophy of abundance. Like people who give, right? Go givers. Uh, I know Bob, uh, it's so funny. I was just reading uh, Think and Grow Rich and realized that that phrase is actually in there. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> you know, we, I, we all, I always knew Mastermind came from that book, but I didn't realize that in that book, he actually says, I reread it, go givers and go getters. He actually talks about it in that book, which is pretty remarkable for the 1930s. And wow. I know Bob Berg sort of brought it back to life for all of us. But so yes, the, this idea of being the kind of person who does that, but closing the loop and letting people know, like, how did it turn out? All those things. This has been a fantastic conversation. Before you go, what were some of the uh, opening lines or, or things that these shyer people, you had some tips that you were going to share earlier? Yeah. First, just remember these two words. Tell me. You know, it's like people say, did you have a, did you have a nice vacation? Yeah. You know, uh, did you enjoy the game? Yeah. You know, no. It's like, so tell me about your vacation. Uh, tell me about Bohemian Rhapsody, right? It gives people a hook on which to hang a conversation. And then 
turn back instead of take back. When they finish talking, like if, if we say, so uh, tell me about the movie, Bohemian Rhapsody. And they did, the, oh, gosh, Freddie Mercury, Rami Malek was just great. If we use the word I, oh, I thought he was great, too. We just took back the conversation. We pulled it right out from underneath him. We turn it back with a you question. Oh, so what did you think about that scene at Live Aid? And we take people deeper into a conversation instead of just having this ping pong match. I, 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 that just stays right there. Ah, those are really great. I, I have a phrase, uh, whenever someone asks me something and I don't know what to say, I always say, really? That's so interesting. Tell me more. <laughs> Which is sort of the, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Four other words. Because, you know, I, I did this year by the water and people always ask, weren't you lonely? It's the number one question I got. And I said, you know, anytime you are anywhere and you want to make a friend, these four words, what do you suggest? You know, like I'm new to town. What do you suggest? I only have a day here. What do you suggest? Or, you know, whatever. And it gives people an opportunity to be an expert. And uh, the, more often than not, they'll take us under our wing and got an instant friend. That's brilliant. Um, so we want, we're getting ready to wrap up. But I feel like, Sam, I could just talk to you forever. This is like so much valuable content. I love these ideas. They're very memorable little stories as well. Um, I, I'm kind of curious, what's your um, methodology or habits around staying in touch with people? Like, do you have a particular system or ritual or habits? You know, I, this is a great question, Robbie. Is like I just talked about this with my son Andrew, who talks about social flow, and and he has an agent, and he, he was wondering what an update was about the pitch. And I said, Andrew, I have a policy about that. You never get in touch with someone to say, Have you done something about that, or what action have you taken, or I haven't heard from you. You always get in touch with good news. So why don't you get in touch with the agent and say, hey, did you see that I was on this podcast? Did you see that this was featured here? So whenever you get back in touch with people, it is always delivering something. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, well, I guess I'd better jump on that. And then guess what? They always open your emails. They always take your calls because it's not like, why haven't I heard from you? (laughs) It's like they know they're going to hear something that will be interesting and valuable to them. Ah. That's, I, I could apply that right away. That's brilliant. Uh, makes me think about, I try to write uh, my weekly emails to my list a little bit in that way. A little, little story, little challenge, a little tidbit. You know, if it was just a link to my podcast, why would they open it? <laughs> you know, they would just have subscribed already. Like, it's true. That's wonderful. So uh, if we were meeting a year from now, and I'm hoping we stay in touch for uh, between now and then, and we're getting together though, and we're, we're celebrating all of the success you've had this, this year. In the, in the past year, you know? So I want to know what, what do you have coming up that you're most looking forward to? What are the successes we're going to be cheering you for having accomplished? Well, first, thank you. That's a lovely question, Robbie. I really appreciate it. It's uh, my book, Someday is Not a Day in the Week. It's coming out uh, UN International Happiness Week. And my vision is to have someday salons all around the country where, where people are actually talking about the things that matter talking about what they're looking forward to, talking about something they're putting off that they choose to do, talking about something, some dream that they abandoned a long time ago that they're setting in motion again. So when when we meet again, we have in Hawaii, they call us Hanaho, an encore. So when we have an encore a year from now, hopefully I've got lots of, of really 
moving, meaningful success stories of how people's lives have changed because they uh, understand that now is the new later. (laughs) (laughs) Now is the new later. And on that note, Sam, how can people find you and follow your work? Uh, There's two websites. One is samhorn.com. That's more for the business things. And then there's serendestiny.com. It's S-E-R-E-N-D-E-S-T-I-N-Y, serendestiny. And that's where I have a lot of posts about some of the things we've been talking about. Fantastic. I just made sure that both those links will be in the show notes and you'll find those at ontheschmooze.com. Sam, thank you so much for joining me. This has been a fantastic conversation. Robbie, you're really doing good work in the world. It's a, a pleasure getting to know you. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Sam. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 125. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's episode. Earlier, you heard me talk about how I realized my ideal clients want more. And this is how my program became called the MORE program for entrepreneurial women. And MORE, in this case, stands for money, opportunities, referrals, engagement, which is what my clients want. It also stands for mindset, offering value, relationships, energy management, which is what my clients need. Basically, if you want more of this, you need to do more of that. You can learn more about the program at robbysamuels.com forward slash more. If you enjoyed this episode with Sam, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I would love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance and I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.